Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. My name, Merry Christmas. My name is Allison Pinches, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here, and no, I'm not completely confused. Uh, This morning, we are talking about gifts. And like Christmas morning, some of you already know what you got. Some of you might be wondering if you can exchange your gift, and some of you might just have something unexpected waiting to be unwrapped. We are continuing our series in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, known as 1 Corinthians. And in this part of the letter, Paul is on a three-chapter rant about spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he talked about different kinds of gifts from the same spirit and how the diversity of gifts make up the body of Christ, with each part or gift being essential. Chapter 13 was all about love, and he implored us that the gifts are worthless if they are not rooted in love. Chapter 14 returns to a discussion on spiritual gifts, but love remains at the center. In Greek writing and oration, there's this device called a chiasm. It's when you say something, and then you make a different point, and then you make that first point again. And in this structure, rather than the repeated points having the emphasis, the emphasis actually points to the middle part, the meat of the sandwich. So when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, then about love, and then about spiritual gifts again, he is actually calling our attention especially to the chapter on love and highlighting that without love, the gifts are worthless. So with love as the foundation, let's continue the discussion on gifts. Would you join with me in prayer? Father God, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth that you would have for us this morning. And God, I pray that you would help us, that you would stir in us if there is something more for us to receive or understand about the spiritual gifts and what you might have for us. Would you lead us by your Holy Spirit? For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. 
Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or believers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. The word of the Lord. So our passage opens this morning with, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. The verb for follow could be translated as run after love, flee after love, fight for love. One commentator described it as pursuit with persistence, indicating a never stopping action. Run and keep running after love. Run as if your life depended on it. Love, agape, this other serving love. With love once again as the foundation, Paul says, eagerly desire or seek after, burn with desire for, earnestly pursue the spiritual gifts. Now that might be how we feel about what's under the tree on Christmas morning, but probably not too often about spiritual gifts. So what are we missing? After Jesus died on the cross and was raised three days later, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And before he ascended to heaven, he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high, he says in Luke 24. In Acts chapter 2, we learn about the day of Pentecost, which we celebrated last week, when the Holy Spirit was given to them. And then on numerous occasions throughout the letters to the new believers, the Apostle Paul mentions these manifestations of the Holy Spirit that he names as spiritual gifts, all different God-given abilities sourced from the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Jesus told his disciples that it would be better for them for him to leave and send his Spirit, the manifestation of himself, available to all believers anywhere and anytime. 
The gifts of the Spirit are a particular expression of the Holy Spirit given to believers in the form of God-given abilities. So now back to Corinth, with a quick stop in the 1980s. To date myself, I grew up between the crazes of Cabbage Patch Dolls and Tickle Me Elmo. The height of Cabbage Patch Dolls was before me, but I received a few hand-me-downs from a post-Cabbage Patch craze era. But I was a bit too old for Tickle Me Elmo. Do you remember that one? One Christmas, this pulsating, not particularly cuddly Elmo doll was all the rage. When you tickled him, he shook and said, ha, 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 that tickles! It was actually kind of creepy. Um, <laughs> it seems that often at Christmas, there is this like hot toy that no store can keep on the shelves, that inspires fistfights in the aisles, and that eBay pirates sell the sought-after item for an exorbitant price. Well, speaking in tongues for the Corinthian church was a bit like this hot new toy that everyone had to have and couldn't wait to show off. Remember, these are early days of Christianity. People are floored at these gifts of the Spirit, but there is an immaturity in understanding what they're for. It's like they've been given a box of tools, but they're not sure how to use everything or what tool to use for what purpose. The Corinthians are super excited about these new gifts, and it seems that their gatherings were full of people speaking in tongues or in languages that others didn't understand. And Paul questions the benefit of no one understanding what the other is saying. Which brings Paul to his main point. The spiritual gifts are meant to help build up the church. Period. He's like a broken record on this point. Does it build up the church? No? Well, that's not the main purpose of spiritual gifts. Paul's argument here is not inherently against tongues, but how it was being practiced at the time. For those less familiar, speaking in tongues refers to someone being given an ability to speak in a language not their own. It's often used like a personal prayer language between someone and God, or as they intercede on someone's behalf, or sometimes to bring a word to the congregation which needs to be interpreted. Paul is not against speaking in tongues. He says he speaks in tongues more than any of them, and he would love for them all to speak in tongues. But Paul is raising some issues with how this was being practiced. He argues that it's not building up the body if one person is speaking something that no one else can understand. It may be encouraging to an individual, but it's not strengthening the church or helping the body to grow. He says, sounds that can't be understood by others and have no meaning are like someone just blowing air into an instrument. There's no music, it's just noise. Paul says, if you're praying a prayer of thanksgiving in a way no one can understand, how can anyone say amen in agreement, making your prayer their own and so building up the church? Finally, Paul says, if unbelievers or people outside your community were to walk in and see a room full of people all speaking gibberish with no interpretation, the unbelievers will think that you're all out of your mind and that that's not a helpful witness. Instead, Paul urges them to pray in the Spirit and with their mind, to use their thinking and intellect as well as their heart. Because gifts are primarily meant to build up the church, Paul advocates for prophecy for its role of revealing divinely inspired truth, which strengthens the church. So what is prophecy, and how does it build up the church? As with the other gifts, it doesn't look exactly the same on each person. 
but it has to do with speaking truthfully. Here are a couple definitions. It's foretelling truth to others or sharing something from divine inspiration that declares the purposes of God. We often think of prophecy or a prophetic word just being about predicting the future, but the commentators don't place much emphasis on the telling the future aspect of prophecy, but rather revealing truth inspired by God. There are all kinds of ways prophecy can be expressed. Prophetic teaching, divinely inspired revelation from God, or a word of truth for someone, or prophetic leadership, knowing how an organization needs to move and change. One way that I might characterize people I've known with prophetic gifts is that they see what is and what ought to be, and they are painfully aware of the gap in between. They can see what could be. More than most, they have an ability to understand life in the kingdom, what it looks like to be in right relationship with God, with others, ourselves, and the earth. They can almost taste that kingdom reality. But rather than living in the clouds, they are very much aware of the current state of things. Some of my friends with prophetic gifts struggle. They aren't always the happiest people because they live very much aware of these two realities, what could be and what is, and they feel the chasm between them. They can get frustrated with the status quo and when people aren't moving towards a vision or new reality as quick as they think they should. It's often a lonely place because when what is crystal clear to you seems frustratingly obscured to those around you, it can be disheartening and you can feel alone. But we need to hear from our prophets. We need to hear from those that have 2020 vision on life in the kingdom. What is possible? And we need their help to point us away from our current reality towards that potential. Prophecy builds the church as it calls us away from the limits of what is and more into what could be in the fullness of the kingdom. One of my friends with a prophetic gift seems to have this clear line of communication with God. I have seen her go from person to person in a room, praying on our behalf and sharing something that God speaks directly to each of our hearts. What a gift that was to our group. Another example of building up the church. More than a decade later, I'm still encouraged by, what, by that word from God. Prophecy. Uttering words directly inspired by God. Words that are intelligible can be understood and acted upon by the listeners. That's what Paul says builds up the church. If we could all speak words directly inspired by God, can you imagine what kind of a community that would be? Paul says the divine truth that builds up the church is to be sought after more than a personal experience in worship. Paul says a truthful word that can be understood is a powerful witness for unbelievers. If they hear truth spoken, truth that cuts to the heart, they may recognize the presence of God among us. Paul's trying to harness their strong desire for spiritual gifts, their desire to experience God in these ways. He's trying to channel that desire to earnestly pursue, to seek after, to try to acquire gifts for the sake of building up the church. 
In this case, Paul was trying to de-emphasize the prominent place that speaking in tongues had come to hold in that community, and rather encourage gifts that would build up the body. So for them, the prescription was less tongues, more prophecy, more divinely inspired truth being spoken to build up the body of Christ. Now, we are not in the same context as the church in Corinth. When you walk in here on a Sunday morning, you're not likely to hear people speaking in languages that are not understood by others. So less tongues, more prophecy, perhaps is not the exact application we need today. Remember, for Paul, it's not so much about tongues and prophecy, but about his deeper point. Seek after gifts that will build up the church. And that is absolutely a word for us today. What would it look like for us as Courtright Church to follow love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit so that the church might be built up? If it really is Christmas morning, what have we already unwrapped? What else might be waiting for us under the tree? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Alex referenced doing those spiritual gifts quizzes in high school, and I did those too. For our youth group, the less popular gifts were poverty and celibacy. I'm not sure if it was from the quizzes that I did back then or some teaching along the way, but as I read more about spiritual gifts over the years, I realized that I had encountered some ideas about spiritual gifts that just didn't seem to line up with what Scripture says about the gifts. Here are a few things I had to unlearn about spiritual gifts. Some presuppositions I learned were not true. One, you get one or two spiritual gifts. That's it. Two, the lists in the Bible clearly lay out all the gifts. Three, the gifts you have, you get for life. Four, you are intrinsically just good at whatever your gift is. And five, your gift is random and has nothing to do with who you are. <clears throat> Somehow, I picked up the idea that you only get one or two spiritual gifts, that those were your gifts for life, settled. But as I read more of the scriptures relating to spiritual gifts over the years, I found there is no passage that says you only get a certain number of gifts. You might have any number of gifts. No one gets all the gifts because we're designed to need each other and to lean on the gifts of one another. And together, all of the gifts reflect the body of Christ. You might get new gifts over time, and some gifts might be given for a particular season and assignment. There's a whole variety of spiritual gifts, just like there are a variety of different body parts that make up the whole. Each of the lists of gifts in Scripture differs, which perhaps suggests that none of the biblical authors themselves are trying to give a comprehensive list of all the gifts available. Some gifts get talked about a lot, like speaking in tongues, where others don't get as much airtime, like mercy. I know only a tiny fraction of the gifts that are represented in our congregation. But one person who works in the service industry has a gift for evangelism and regularly has the most incredible encounters with customers, some of whom have even come back later to say how their lives have been changed and even saved from their conversation. Another person in our congregation with the gift of encouragement is retired, 
but invest deeply in the lives of young people who are nourished by her encouragement and love. Another with the gift of evangelism is a teacher who's constantly looking for how God might use them and they're longing for people to know Jesus. Another person on the prayer chain has a gift for intercession and quietly has a list of people she is in regular prayer for, some not just for days or weeks, but faithfully praying for them for months and even years. What else is out there? One really important thing I've learned is that though the gifts are a special God-given ability to do something, it still means there's room for learning. Having a gift doesn't equate brilliance at something. It's like we've been given a new tool. It takes time to learn how to use the tool, what it's best to use it for, and when not to use it. With practice, we get better at using it, and over time, the tool becomes like an extension of us. Gifts are like that. Yes, they are special, God-given abilities, but they're also something we can learn more about and practice and improve. One of my personal work goals this year includes reading a book related to one of my gifts so that I can get better at using this gift. I think one of the best ways to do this is to learn from someone else who shares the gift, who's been living with it for a longer time. When I worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, one of the staff I was supervising began to develop a pretty intense gift around prayer and intercession. Her experiences were quite overwhelming for her, and they were new to me. A senior staff member had a similar gift, and we connected this young staff member with this senior staff member. And the senior staff member was so helpful in sharing more about her experiences with the gift and how to live well with it. She gave ideas about how to cultivate it and learn to use it in a way that felt more freeing and life-giving. For some of us, we may not have a clue what our gifts are. This may be something new or something we haven't given much thought to recently. If that's the case, there's a couple of things we can do. First, and really simply, we can ask God. Ask him to show us what he's given us. Or maybe he's prompting you to ask for a new gift. We can also ask someone who knows us well if they have an idea what our gifts might be. Sometimes we're too close to see. We might think, well, isn't everyone like that? Or wouldn't anyone do that? We need the perspective of someone else to reflect what is unique and true about us back to ourselves. And perhaps you can thoughtfully offer that observation for someone else when you notice it. When I was in grade nine, I was part of a student leadership team in my youth group. I was the youngest on the team and a little bit intimidated by these older teens that I looked up to. One day, pinned to our encouragement board was a note for me from one of the grade 11 girls. She wrote that she thought I had the gift of encouragement. I was floored that she would notice and take the time to encourage me by affirming something she had seen in me. That just meant so much. Now, you don't necessarily just take whatever someone says. You can test it out and see if it feels true. So using that example, I could consider well, what does it feel like when I encourage someone? Now that I take a step back, is that something that I do quite often? Have other people said something similar to me? And how do people react what happens when I encourage them? In this way, we can prayerfully consider the insight of one another to see if this might be true. I've had the opportunity to be on the other side, where it's clear to me that someone has a particular gift, and with prayerful consideration, if it seemed right to do so, 
I've gotten to share that with a number of people. It seems like you might have a gift for, and the experience of helping to identify a gift for someone has been really fun. What seemed obvious to me was often not at all obvious to the people I shared with. And people have come back to me after doing their own prayerful reflection and said, you know that thing you said about me having this gift? That was really helpful, and I think that might be true. Now, while we don't need to have labels for everything and know exactly, oh, I have X number of these exact gifts, it can be really helpful to have some of our gifts identified so that we can practice them, can learn more about them, and have the joy of knowing that we are partnering with God's Spirit as we use those gifts. A number of years ago, InterVarsity was hosting a staff retreat with a focus on the Holy Spirit. We realized that many of us had paid less attention to this member of the Trinity than God the Father and Jesus the Son. In preparation for the retreat, the senior staff planning the retreat really had the sense that God had more gifts he wanted to offer us and that we were to ask him for a gift at that time. So I had some time leading up to the retreat to think about this, and I started to wonder if God wanted to give me this particular gift. The time came when we were praying and asking God if he wanted to give us a gift, and I told the leader that I was praying with what I wondered if God wanted to give me, so they encouraged me to pray about it. I did, and then they encouraged me to try it. I had no idea how to try out this gift when all of a sudden it felt almost like I had been handed a pair of jeans to try on. I imagined putting these jeans on and almost immediately knew, nope, this isn't it. These just don't fit. They don't feel right. So my friend that I was praying with said, well, why don't you ask God if there's something else he might want to give you? Something else? I hadn't thought about anything else. So I asked, and we waited, and then this word came to mind, this gift that I never would have imagined. I thought, what? You've got to be kidding. But as we stood there in prayer, it felt like I was now being offered a different pair of jeans to try on. And as I tried these jeans on, much to my shock, they fit. And then I started thinking about different aspects of my life and who I am and experiences that I've had and things that I love. And it just felt like these threads came together and I was looking at a new pair of jeans going, yep, I never would have imagined it, but this fits. That was an amazing experience. But I wondered, how do I know if I actually got that gift? I was encouraged to try it out, to look for opportunities to use that gift and just See what happens. A word that keeps coming up for the staff and elders is this word flourishing. To me, flourishing is living fully as we were meant to be, fully alive in right relationship with God, ourselves, and others, a state which bears forth more life. One of the joys of the spiritual gifts and one of the reasons that Paul says to go after these things is that they epitomize this flourishing life, life rooted in Christ, living out of the strength and ability of the Spirit for the building up of the church. There is a joy that comes from knowing that you just had an experience of partnering in the work of the Spirit as you used your gift, knowing, wow, what happened was not the sum of the parts. 
It wasn't just me doing something well. It was God doing something beyond me, and I got to be part of it. Though not all the gifts are fun, there's still this deep contentment and profound peace from knowing that you are joining in the work of God's Spirit. As some of you have likely heard, the staff and session elders have been in a season of discernment. We've been asking, who is God calling us as a church to be? How might we grow closer to him and live out our faith as a blessing to others in our city? Session and staff have been praying and reading and discussing and meeting and considering and discerning clarity around our mission and how we might live out that vision for this next season of ministry. In March, we met and made significant progress on a mission statement that's been developed and continues to be fine-tuned. Next Saturday, June 18th, we are meeting to take the next steps in that process as we revisit that statement and consider how would we know if we were actually living that mission out? What would it look like? We'll also be considering in what particular ways God is inviting us to live out this mission at this time. We are on the cusp of an exciting new season in the life of our church. We're looking forward to hearing your input and discernment as we try to hear from God about these matters. As we prepare for this new season, how might we as a congregation prepare for what is ahead? What gifts has God already given us? What are the gifts in our midst? And what gifts might we need? God knows where we're headed. It's still becoming more clear to us. But there are more gifts he wants to equip us with to live out his mission and vision for us as his church in this neighborhood and the rest of the city of Guelph. What might God be offering us? What has he already given us that we might step into more fully? A few ideas as we close. If you're not sure what your gifts are, ask God to show you. Ask others close to you. If you'd like help in this area of knowing and using your gifts, consider being part of our River Crew Mentoring Program. The mentoring program aims for what we call whole life discipleship. And while it's not all about spiritual gifts, one of the things we hope you will cover with your mentor over the course of the year is related to growing in your spiritual gifts. If you are willing to connect with others who might share a spiritual gift that you have, please let me or one of the staff know. We would love to have people in mind so that as we together learn more about our gifts, we know how to connect each other to learn from the wisdom of others. And finally, if this area is of particular interest for you, please let me know. It's helpful for us to know what God is stirring among the congregation so that we can offer opportunities for learning and growth accordingly. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. As we continue to go after love, to eagerly desire, to look forward to, to ask about gifts that will build up the church, what gifts have you been given? And what is still waiting under the tree to be opened? Let's pray. Father God, Son Jesus, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us as a congregation, as your body, to become more aware of the gifts that you have already given us. And God, if you are stirring us or particular ones of us to ask you for a new gift, 
I pray that your spirit would make that clear to us. Would you give us an ability to see gifts in one another, to prayerfully with your spirit to affirm that for each other? And I pray that you would lead us more and more into the joy of getting to use out our gifts in partnership with you. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.